This audio recording is presented by New City in downtown Orlando. All right, again, good morning. I'm Ted Sin, one of the pastors here. Uh, as I uh, mentioned earlier, uh, Rue, our associate pastor, um, is uh, still in India. I got back. Uh, late Friday night. We were there kind of loving on and training and praying with and uh, recruiting uh, three current uh, church planters and two potential church planters. Uh, when I was there, we were in Mumbai and in Bangalore. And so I just kind of wanted to stop and say thank you uh, to you, the members of New City, because you give so faithfully through the years and at the year end, um, we, we've been able to invest prayer and relationship and training and money uh, into these couples who, um, who are trying to uh, be used by God to see uh, professionals in India be reached with the gospel and that they might in turn uh, uh, go to their country and reach their country, which is in desperate need of the freedom and the grace and the healing uh, of us even recently. Uh, he will be in Calcutta today and then Delhi for a couple of days and then uh, they fly back. And so just pray for him. Um, I, I know uh, that he needs prayers because I know that I need your prayers I will need your patience and your understanding uh, this morning. Uh, I have coined a term called Mumbai mind, or uh, maybe if you're older, Bombay brain, um, because uh, I have it. The locals in India, even outside of Delhi, will call it Delhi belly if your stomach gets messed up uh, from the food. And so I've coined a word that I hope takes off and I can somehow become rich off of it, uh, which is called uh, Mumbai mind. And this is just a mental disorientation. Uh, This mental disorientation happens uh, because of jet lag and travel and lack of sleep. So like over six days, I was actually in a hotel three nights and I was just, uh, I slept a little bit, but not uh, very much of it. The disorientation for me comes uh, when I'm in India because you see millions and millions of people uh, crammed into a space about as big as this auditorium. And so for someone who doesn't like to touch people, uh, it really is quite frustrating to me. Uh, But... Probably the most disorienting part is seeing the incredible opulence that so many people enjoy and just the devastating poverty and oppression of others. And so I'm just worn out. Um, I, I knew that I had a moon by mind. I went up to the, uh, the Travelex, uh, the, the, the money exchange in Atlanta, and I, I had gotten my wallet out, and, and I knew that I uh, wanted to maybe grab something to eat, maybe a f- few things to drink, um, begin to medicate on the way home, just joking. And uh, I looked at my wallet and I saw that I had 30 rupees. And I was like, oh, this will be enough. And so I walk up to the Travelex counter and I'm like, uh, hey, I mean, I stand in line, I get there and I hand her my rupees and I'm thinking, I'm going to get 30 bucks back. And uh, if you know anything about uh, currency, um, I wasn't going to get a whole lot of money back from 30 rupees. And she informed me that if I really wanted to make this transaction with her, that I would owe her money because the minimum fee for every exchange was more than what I was going to get back, which was about 40 cents. Uh, so having been there all week, I still saw 30 rupees and thought, oh, this will be great. I can have a really nice steak. Uh, I knew I kind of had this thing called Mumbai Mine when, you know what Danimals, you know what that is? It's the yogurt you can drink. Well, the label should say, do not shake after you've taken the lid off. Because I took the lid off and I just started shaking that thing, get it ready to be drunk. It goes everywhere. <laughs> it was awesome. And I'm about to preach the gospel to you, all right? <laughs> I hope you're excited. Uh, last, last night I went to the office to get some things for the barbecue, the, the college cookout today. And I was in my office like, what in the heck is that noise? 
and it was our alarm system. So I, I went back out into the foyer and uh, I kept punching in my ATM code. It's like, what is going on? And uh, finally I was like, you idiot, uh, punch in the security code. Uh, I'll need some patience and some mercy from you, I'm sure. Uh, it's, been a long, it's been a long week and, uh, and, and we'll, we'll just see how this goes. Uh, our sermon this morning um, is a, a mini-series within our current series. So we've been studying as a series the unique passages of Luke. And what we mean by that is we're studying those passages that Matthew, Mark, and John did not include in their Gospels. And this visit, visit from Gabriel uh, to Mary is one of those unique passages. And, and uh, so we're going to continue on with the theme we've been running with for quite some time. But we're going we're to introduce a mini-series uh, into our series. And that is, again, the series uh, of Advent. This is the first of four sermons we're going to talk about the coming of Jesus uh, as a baby. And as I said earlier, and as we've already said, each, each week we're going to have a theme uh, for the entire liturgy, for the entire morning. And this week's theme is the theme of promise. Uh, our God is a God of promise. Our God does some things, but he often likes to make promises about things he's going to do in the future. And so I want you to think with me. Think about the concept of a promise, uh, particularly a promise of something good. A promise of something good is exciting and challenging at the same time. A promise is great because something visible that is desired is supposedly in our future. Or something invisible that is desired is supposedly ours now. But at the same time, a promise is really hard because by definition, with a promise, something you presently desire is not presently yours or something you presently desire is not visibly yours. That's a mouthful and a mindful, so let me say it like this. A young man tells his girlfriend of years that he loves her, and that at some point in the future he's going to propose to her. He's like 47. And, and she has a sweet promise ring on her finger. On one side of the coin, the woman is supposedly loved. It's invisible, if you will. And, and the woman has uh, an engagement ring, which is visible. An engagement ring is going to be part of her future. That's exciting. On the other side of the coin, at present, she has a promise ring. And she's beginning to wonder if she's really loved. You see, promises are exciting, but challenging. Think about Mary in our text in Luke chapter 1. God, through Gabriel, uh, makes her this amazing, unique, one-of-a-kind promise. And our text is the story of the short period of time where Mary is wrestling with that promise, where she's living in the tension between something promised to her and the promise fulfilled for her. And so she's wrestling with God's promise. And when she is wrestling with God's promise, she's like us. She's a mixture of doubt and faith. Over time, uh, her faith is increased and her doubt is decreased. Now, I know there's a lot going on in this text, and we're going to cover some of it in the coming weeks. Remember, four weeks on, on the conception, uh, 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 the time of Jesus and Mary's womb, four weeks on the incarnation, on the delivery. Uh, but what I really want to do this morning is I want to see Mary as an example of how to wrestle with God's promises. I want us to see in the text the significant transformation that happens in Mary's life. If you begin at verse 25 and go to verse 45 and beyond, uh, Mary goes through a significant change. In verse 29, for example, it says in our text, she's greatly troubled. What it really says is she's greatly agitated. 
In, in verse uh, 46 and following, though, uh, the, the, the text that we're going to study next week, Mary writes and sings the Magnificat. It's, it's Mary full of faith, elated, crystal clear in what she believes about God. She went from confused and scared to clear and confident. She wrestled with God's promise. She lived in the tension between what was said that's coming to her and, and when it came to her, and she appropriately dealt with her doubts as she thought about God's promise. So we're going to study the text this way this morning. First, let's redefine faith. Second, let's consider some of God's promises to us. And third, let's watch Mary deal with her doubt. Okay, let's get started. You'll want your worship folder insert out if you don't have it already. Um, in the first couple of points, I won't speak to the text much, but I'll walk through almost all of it in the third point. Let's redefine faith. Look at verse 45 with me. It's the last verse in the text. So our story ends with Elizabeth, Mary's relatives. She says this about Mary. Blessed is she who believed. Okay, so believed is the verb form of the Greek root for faith. Blessed is she who faithed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken or promised to her from the Lord. You and I, we tend to think of faith as understanding biblical doctrine. When the Bible speaks of faith, the Bible talks about trusting God and his promises. Biblical faith, saving faith, will include understanding, but it is primarily believing that the promises of God that are made to us are true or will be true if they're not already. As Western Christians, we have to continually redefine faith. Faith is not answering correctly on a multiple choice test. Biblical faith, saving faith, is about conviction, not correct theology. It's about assurance, not the absence of heresy. The Bible actually gives us a definition of faith. The definition of faith is given in Hebrews 11.1. 1. It reads like this, a very famous verse that we, many of us memorized in our youth. It says, now faith is, so it's a definition, the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not seen. So biblical faith is not theological concepts, but it is intimately and directly tied to the promises of God. Our God is a God of promise. Our God loves to make promises. And faith is believing that the promises are true or that they will be true. So listen again. Faith by definition is believing that we will in due time have our possession, uh, have in our possession anything visible that God has promised to us in the future. So Hebrews 11.1, 1, faith is the assurance of things hoped for. Hope is about the future. It's like the engagement ring that is supposedly coming to the woman in our previous illustration. But further, faith by definition, according to Hebrews 11, is believing that we have now in our possession those invisible things that God has already said are ours. So the woman in our illustration, the professed love that is invisible to her, it is hers by faith. Hebrews 11.1 1 says this, faith is the conviction of things, present tense, not seen. Invisible things like love, forgiveness, Delight, acceptance, mercy. So the Virgin Mary is called faithful in verse 45 because after she wrestled with her doubts, she believed God's promises to her would be fulfilled 
and her belief was made evident in the actions of her life. Second, some of God's promises to us. And my main point in this second quick point is to make sure that we know what God has and what God has not promised to us. I want to make sure that none of us virgins are expecting God to overshadow us and and put a baby in our womb if we only believe. Or more likely, I don't want any of us to think that this passage is, if we'll only believe a little more and doubt a little less, that this passage is the promise of God for a baby or, or a husband. This text and this sermon is not about getting rich. It's not about being in love. It's not about having children. It's not about being healthy. It's about learning what God has actually promised to us. And so what I want to do is I know that in a moment I'm going to walk you through our text and we're going to see Mary uh, dealing with her doubts and and, and we're going to see her faith increase. But before we do that and as we do that, I want us to think about what God has promised to us, what he has promised to every believer, what he has promised to those of us being saved. And, And as I go through this, I really want you to pick one or two of these promises and, and, and think about the ones that you struggle to believe. And then when you watch Mary wrestle with God's promise to her, I want you to wrestle with God's promise to you. Does this make sense? So a non-exhaustive list of some of the promises that God has made to us. All right? First, God promises us the forgiveness of sins when we repent. In Acts 2, 38 and 39, Peter says that God forgives those who repent. And he said that this, quote, promise is for you. In 1 John 1, 9, we're told that if we confess our sins, God is faithful and just, and he will forgive us our sins, and he will cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Forgiveness is something presently true for the believer, but it is a thing not seen. Faith is the conviction of things not seen, things promised but not seen. Next, God repeatedly promises us in his word that we're his beloved children. So in 2 Corinthians 6.18, for example, Paul is quoting Isaiah 52. And in Isaiah 52, God says this, I will be a father to you, and you shall be sons and daughters to me. And it says, thus says God Almighty. And in the very next verse, the apostle Paul says this, he says, we have this promise, beloved Being God's dearly loved kids is something presently true, but unseen. Faith is the conviction of things not seen. Third, God has promised to grow us. He's promised to mature us. He's he's promised to make us more human. In 2 Peter 1, we're told that God's power has been granted to us for the sake of godliness. And then in verse 4, Peter says that this is a very precious and very great promise from God. In Philippians 1, we're told that God promises to carry on the work and to bring to completion the work of salvation that he has started in us. In 2 Corinthians 5, we're told that God promises to transform us into the beautiful and loving likeness of Christ. These promises are both presently with us and they're a thing hoped for in the future. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Next, while God does not promise us health and wealth and prosperity, uh, good news, he does promise us hardship, persecution, attack, and trial. But in those guaranteed trials, the Bible also promises Christians this, that the spirit of Jesus is in us. 
Galatians 3 and Acts 2, that God the Spirit will never leave us and never forsake us, Hebrews 13, that he will give us promised peace beyond human understanding, Philippians 4, that in all things, even hard things, they're for our good and they're for God's glory, Romans 8, that through the steadfastness that God will provide by his Spirit, we are given wisdom, James 1. So this promise is also a present reality not seen and, and a future thing hoped for. F- finally, for this point, before we kind of move on and watch Mary and we watch her wrestle with her promises and as we wrestle with our promises, Christians, believers, those who rest in Jesus are, are promised eternal life. 1 John 2.25, we're promised uh, entrance into the new heavens and the new earth where righteousness dwells, 2 Peter 3.13. And of course, this is... The great hope is the ultimate thing hoped for, uh, where faith is the assurance of things hoped for. So these are some of the promises of God to us. Some of them are present but invisible, and some will be visible but in the future. In Christ, we're forgiven. In the gospel, we're righteous, we're beloved, we're adored, we're cherished. We're getting better. Hardships are for our good and our growth and our wisdom and God's glory. We're destined for paradise, for the new heavens and the new earth, for utter peace and shalom with God and with ourselves and with other people and with all of creation. So the question is, which do you wrestle with? Which do you doubt the most? That God loves you? That you're really forgiven? That God's growing you? That God is good and redemptive even in difficult times. You see, we're, we're finally ready to step into our text and walk through the story of Mary wrestling with her promise. And my hope is that we will wrestle with our promises as well. That as we wrestle with them, doubt might decrease and faith might increase and we might be blessed. Verse 45, blessed is the one who believes that there will be a fulfillment of what was promised by the Lord. All right? Now, as I said, Mary's growing in our text. She's maturing right in front of our eyes. Her faith at the start of the text uh, is rather small, but at the end of our text, especially through verse 55, her faith has increased significantly. So at the beginning of our text, her doubts are dominating her. At the end of our text, uh, she's essentially uh, dealt with the doubt related to God's promise about her son. And I see in this text uh, three ways in which Mary grew. Three ways in which Mary grew. Okay, she raised, she reflected, and she rested. She raised her doubts, so she didn't deny them. She brought them to the surface. She reflected on God's faithfulness in the lives of other people. And she rested in the fact that the promises of God are the promises of God. All right, go to verse 31 to 33. In, in 31 to 33, God promises Mary a son, not a son of Joseph, uh, who's her fiance, who she is betrothed to, but, but a great son, a son of the Most High, the son of God himself. And God, through Gabriel, promises that this son will be king over God's people. And eventually this son will be king over everything. And of his kingdom, there will be no end. In verse 34, uh, the most likely 13-year-old raises her doubt. She says, how will this be? How is this possible since I'm a virgin? 
Now we know from verse 37 that Mary is not just seeking details because she's intrigued. She's actually doubting God's power. Because after telling her how it will happen in verse 35, so Gabriel says, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High, the power of the Most High will cast a shadow over you. And then in verse 37, Gabriel says, for nothing will be impossible with God. Mary is not necessarily doubting God's goodness, but she's doubting God's power. And so, and so the first way to deal with our doubts regarding God's promises to us is to tell him is to raise our doubts up to him. God does not want us to fake uh, fake a faith that is not ours. Uh, God does not want us to walk away because we feel bad about our doubts. God wants us to tell him about our doubts. I mean, just think about what I just said. In a very real faith, telling God that you doubt is faith. God, how can it be that you forgive me? How can it be that you love me? Have you ever met me? How can it be that you're maturing me? I'm getting worse day by day. In verse 35, Mary is not rebuked by Gabriel. Her her question is answered directly and, and her doubt is dealt with. Every one of us has doubts, starting with me. I know that we have doubts because the Bible says that all disobedience comes out of unbelief. So if you're disobeying at all, you're doubting God. That faith is underneath every act of obedience, but doubt is underneath every act of rebellion. And so if I look at my life this week and I see my sin this week, that tells me that I have doubt in my life. So, So think about it like this. Think about it like a recipe. The heart of every Christian is one part faith and one part doubt. Sanctification and growth and maturity happens when the one part of faith increases from a third of a cup to to two-thirds of a cup, and and when the doubt decreases from two-thirds of a cup to a third of the cup. But doubt decreases not by willpower or decision or determination, but when we tell God we're doubting. From 50,000 feet, Mary is getting better, and it begins by confessing her doubt to God. This question, how will this be? It reveals faith, and it reveals doubt. It reminds me an awful lot of the dad of the demonized son in Mark chapter 9. The man says to Jesus, after the disciples have failed miserably to cast out uh, 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 this demon while, while Jesus is being transfigured, and the man says to Jesus, if you can, if, you can if, it's, if it's possible for you to do anything for us, have compassion upon us. So he's like, he's going after both whether or not Jesus has the power and whether or not he has the goodness to do something about this. And Jesus responds, it doesn't really matter whether or not I've got the power. What matters is, is do you have the faith? And the man honestly replies, He speaks his heart. I believe. Help my unbelief. What what does Jesus say? I need to see more faith than that. I need to see a stronger faith than that. That's about 17%. But really what I need to see is at least 23%. Come on, you can do it. Just believe a little bit more. No, I mean, if you know the story, Jesus casts out the demon. The boy is healed and the father gets his request. His honesty with Jesus was faith. 
Think about this. The strength of the man's faith was not as important as the strength of the one in whom he believed, even if his belief was a sliver of belief. Raise your doubts. Get them to the surface. Talk to God about them. Really? You're wild about me? That is ridiculous. Really? You've made these promises about my children? Give me the faith to believe that. Really? I'm forgiven completely and utterly because Jesus so beautifully died in my place. My debt's gone. I'm completely rich. Really? I've used this illustration before. I'm going to use it again. It's not original with me. I heard it first with C.S. Lewis and then Tim Keller and others, but it goes like this. A man has fallen off a cliff and he's free falling uh, to his imminent death. And beneath him, he sees a plant, a tree, a limb, something that's sticking out of the side of the cliff. And he's wondering whether or not the limb will be able to hold him and hold his weight when he grabs a hold of it as he goes by. And as he goes by, he reaches out and he grabs a hold of the limb. And even though he has some doubts as to whether or not the limb can save him, he, he grabs anyway and he, he reaches out. And, and as it turns out, the limb was strong enough to hold him. It was strong enough uh, to hold his weight and he lives. And the question is this, what was more important? The strength of the man's faith in the limb or the strength of the limb? The limb. Friends, we're not ultimately saved by our faith. We're saved by the object of our faith. First, paradoxically, Faith increases and doubt decreases as we raise our doubts. Confess them to the Lord. Second, Mary grew by reflecting on the faithfulness of God in the lives of other people. So look at verse 36. Gabriel not only explained how, how the conception would happen in verse, four, in verse 35, but he also essentially told Mary to go and see God's faithfulness in the lives of other people. He basically says, uh, go live in community. So, so in the passage, just before our text, okay, Luke tells the story of the conception of John the Baptist in the womb of the very old Elizabeth, who was known to be barren. And Elizabeth, who lived in the hill country of Judea, I think that's verse 39, uh, according to, I think, uh, verse 24, went into hiding as soon as she conceived. And and Gabriel says to Mary uh, in verse 36, Behold, look, go and see. Your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son, and this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. In verses 39 and 40, Mary immediately goes and sees the evidence of God's power in the life of another person. And then in verses 42 to 45, Elizabeth, uh, her relative, filled by the Holy Spirit, led by God, confirms to Mary that she in fact is pregnant and that in her womb is the Lord, the fulfillment of God's promises, and that the, the child in Elizabeth's womb leapt for joy at his presence. Struggling with doubt by living in community, by reflecting on God's faithfulness in the lives of other people, by listening to other people as they speak God's promises to us. In that reality, Mary believes more than she already had. 
The very next verse, we'll pick up next week, it's the beginning of the Magnificat. It's the height of faith in the entire life of Mary. But Gabriel didn't just say, go and visit Elizabeth as an example of God's power and God's grace. Gabriel also offered the example of Abraham and Sarah. Uh, Verse 37, if you look in your text, is a quote of and an allusion to Genesis chapter 18. In Genesis 18, God promised Abraham and Sarah a child uh, in their old age. And it's almost certain that when Mary heard, for nothing will be impossible with God, it's almost certain she would have thought of the matriarch, Sarah. In that story, Sarah overheard the promise that she would conceive. And in that story, she laughed with doubt. Sarah said in that text, after I'm worn out and after my Lord, speaking of Abraham, after my Lord is old, she says, well, I have pleasure. In other words, Sarah was saying something about Abraham's ability to give her, to give her pleasure. That the Abraham could not even physically give her a good time, let alone impregnate her. I checked to make sure it was a G45 week. It's in the Bible. And the messenger, again, from God, representing God, said to her in the Old Testament Septuagint that Mary would have had, he said, is anything impossible with God? And even there with significant doubt existing, one could argue with no faith existing, God provided. And God is saying to Mary through Gabriel, he's saying, live in community. Reflect on the faithfulness of God in the lives of others as evidence that God can do what he says he will do for you. I was thinking about this this week. One of the really encouraging realities for me now that our church is almost five years old is the relationships that I've had for years with many of you basically from the beginning. And you have no idea how wonderfully helpful it is to me to watch God grow you. It is unbelievable because when I become myopic and I become insulated and when I withdraw into myself and when I begin to doubt if God could ever do anything about my selfishness and my greed and my anxiety, when I get outside of myself and I see you, I'm like, yeah, he did it in them. He can do it in me. Raise your doubts Live in community and watch God's faithfulness in the lives of others. And third and finally for this morning, uh, our doubts regarding God's promises will go down and our faith will go up as we continually remember that the promises of God are the promises of God. Did Mary's doubt in any way stop God from doing what he promised to do? No. In my heart, that is one part faith and one part doubt. Does the doubt in my heart ultimately stop God from fulfilling his promises to me? No. We we grow to the extent that we remember that these are God's promises to us and not our promises to God. Look at verse 28. Think about the introduction Mary gets from Gabriel. And he came to her and he said, greetings. It's, It's a command to rejoice. Rejoice, O favored one. Literally, rejoice, O graced one. Rejoice, O one endowed with the unmerited favor of God. The Lord is with you. 
Mary missed the most important part of the message, and she freaked out in verse 29, and she's trying to figure this out. And so verse 30, Gabriel goes, Gabriel goes back and tells her the most important part again. Don't be afraid. You have found grace with God. God is not here to judge you for what you've done or for what you've failed to do. God's here to bless you. And his blessing of you is based solely upon his grace. God is about to make you a promise and do something in you that you didn't earn and that you can't lose. Oh, graced one, you've found grace with God. If you start from there and you read the rest of the passage, the grace that unfolds is so obvious. Mary freaks out. Mary voices her doubt. In verse 38, Mary submits to the Lord's will. And then starting in verse 46, Mary worships God with an overflowing faith. God was hell bent on giving Mary this promise and he was going to keep working with her and he was going to keep working in her in order to fulfill his promise. Good news. The promises of God are the promises of God. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you that as Paul tells us, every promise given to us is yes and amen and true in you. That we are forgiven because you were cursed. That we are made righteous because you became sin for us. That we're adopted as daughters and sons because you were forsaken. That we will grow and become beautiful because you have committed to be with us and bring about this growth. Jesus, we praise you that we're headed towards the ultimate hope of the new heavens and the new earth because you experienced our hell in the cross and on the grave. God, we confess doubt. We confess unbelief. We confess to you that there's so much about what you've said to us that we frankly don't believe. God, would you give us the faith to raise our doubts? Would you give us the faith to live in community? And would you give us the faith to rest in your promises? Holy Spirit, we pray that you would come and do a mighty work in us. That you would come and you bring great glory to Jesus and great fame to the gospel and to the church as you make us more faithful.